0: lots of things are better together hockey food golf how about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day but if you really want to take things to the next level drink some labat blue lights with your friends and live life to the power of we always enjoy responsibly beer labat usa buffalo new york
1: this is the gm shuffle you're basically studying it like former chess matches the novice makes a move in chess and thinks about what his next move is the pro thinks about what's the danger in the move you're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Vsin. Here is Femi Abebefe.
0: Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Vsin. I'm your host Femi Abefaye. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcast. Our producer Elliot Bowman with us on the ones and twos, and it is officially Super Bowl week. And this past weekend, Michael, we didn't have any football, or we oh had the we God. had the we had the reimagined Pro Bowl games. I know you were glued to that Sunday afternoon. I not. How was the day I, with no football? I didn't
1: watch one flight. I didn't watch. Oh, it was some, uh, hard. I mean. Although I would recommend, you know, I was thinking about this. I was talking to somebody today. We were talking about programming. If you've ever not seen one of the great TV shows of all time, mm. it's called Boss. It's on. It was on Stars. It only had two seasons with Kelsey Grammer. I would recommend that. That might be. That's in my top five of all time. Kelsey Grammer is incredible. He's the mayor of Chicago. Tom Kane. The opening speech that he gives at the beginning of it. Is beyond remarkable, just beyond remarkable. And so, you know, for me, that uh, would be like, that's going to be a lot of Sunday. I'm going to rewatch Boss, but I did not watch one play. I started <laughs> to watch the 76ers play the Knicks. I gave out the Knicks in minus four, plus four on the show, and I mm-hmm. knew that was going to cash. So I just paid attention to that.
0: So that <laughs> was it. Go.
1: But what else was it going to do? I mean, <laughs>
0: There wasn't a whole lot to do. And oh, by the way, Michael is in Tampa right now to uh, Mm -hmm. promote the book, The Football Done Right. We're all excited for that later on this year. So that's why he sounds a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I do sound different. And I want to thank the people at Raymond James, which uh, I'm I'm doing a a speech for them. They've been so good to me and the book uh, that I appreciate everything that they've done. So I'm here in Tampa for that. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm on the road. But I will be Wednesday. I will be I will be in Phoenix on whatever the radio row Wednesday, mm-hmm. Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to be with you out there at the circus. We're going to hang out.
0: There we go. Coming into the, you're hitting both deserts, Phoenix, and then also Las Vegas, the the yeah. better desert is what I like to call it here. I'll be here all week long. i uh, Not going to be making the trip to radio row, but I'm sure you'll have a lot of fun. Elliot, our producer was telling me that a, I guess there was a fogo to chow. That's right across from the convention center where the uh, radio row is. So I don't know if you're going to a big Brazilian steakhouse guy, but no, Ma- no, I've, never no? Knew, I never, I've never been to that place. I, I, I've seen it, but I've never been as a good. I, I've, I've been there. I like it. I also like meat. So I guess that's kind of, I'm, I'm biased clearly, but a Brazilian steakhouse is, a, I do recommend. I love them a lot, but you got to go make sure you bring your appetite because uh, if you keep that thing on, cause you have the little dot and if you keep it on green, they're going to keep bringing the meat and it's also, it's chicken, oh, wow. you can get steak, you can get pork, whatever you want. They got it. And uh, you definitely might need to be wheeled out of there. At least I do whenever I go. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all oh, sorts of fun. Uh, yeah, d- Yesterday, I didn't do a damn thing, man. I, I, I actually I went out to lunch uh, yeah. and, and did that. Then I came back. I did watch a little bit of that Sixers-Knicks game because I was on the TV. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, let me take in some of this. I watched a little bit of golf. Uh, and I also, I watched it. Maybe we'll have time to talk about it later on. I don't know. Did you know that the ESPN was doing the 30 for 30 on the 2000 Ravens team? So, no, I did not. So I watched that yesterday evening. That, that's how oh, okay. that's how I spent my day. So and and it was very reminiscent to what we'd seen in the Americas game, uh, the the one that the NFL Network always does for the Super Bowl champions and stuff. But there was just a more long range form of the storytelling, and obviously that team had a lot of personalities with no Ray no Lewis and Shannon Sharp and the late great Tony Siragusa, who unfortunately they actually taped all the interviews and did that stuff a month prior to him passing away last year so he was very much a part of it and it was it was kind of cool to to get his perspective on it one last time like his last kind of public outing uh yeah, before i passing, to watch so. that time. But yeah, it was. I really, watch it was, Goose.
1: It was really yeah, good. Yeah, he was in the, you know, and then you gotta have to squeeze in the Sopranos. I mean, Goose was I in am. the Sopranos too. So no more excuses, fam. No more excuses.
0: <laughs> We're gonna squeeze it in. We're gonna get it done uh, this off season here because, uh, like you said, everybody's on my ass about it. So uh, I'll, I'll make sure to deliver, and we'll, we'll have the Sopranos in sixty coming back here <laughs> over the off season. But Michael, we got to get to the Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl week, and this is an interesting week because. It's so much more than a football game, but the teams are going to try to keep it to being a football game as normal as possible. Both Kansas city and Philadelphia are in Arizona. Now they arrived yesterday. They're going to do the super bowl opening night media session thing later this evening. That'll be kind of their big introduction, but just for those of us who are unaware and have never been a part of an organization that's been playing for a super bowl. What is this week? Like, what is the buildup to it? And just now that you're going there, you have boots on the ground. How do you kind of control everything and all the hoopla that goes along? along with it.
1: You know, you really need your, you really need your leadership counsel to help you, you know, and and I think one of the, a really good book that I've been, that I've read is um, Run to the Roar. It's about Paul. It's the, he is the Trinity squash coach. He's the winningest coach in all of college sports. I mean, he's squash at Trinity. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's enormous. It's enormously really popular. And Mm. he, and he does, he wrote something, we, we did a one-on-one interview with the daily coach, but he's tremendous. But his leadership counsel on his team is really good. I mean, he would be, he would send every day he's talking to his leadership counsel, every day he's talking to the guys on his team, he's sending voicemails and texts and all that. I think this is the kind of week for that. You know, you want to make sure that the players don't lose sight of the main thing. The main thing is the game. Mm -hmm. And with veteran leadership, you got to kind of get the kids, the younger players from not looking at the stars, because this is a once in a lifetime event. Right. So you don't want to discourage them from experiencing the joy of being here. But you also got to reshift their focus to why they're there. So embrace the moment. And a lot of that is just staying in the moment. Like when it's media day, embrace media day. But when we go to work, when Wednesday through Friday or Saturday, then it's this is really what we're all about. I mean, Andy Reid's been here before you know, the, the Eagles have been here as a team before, Seriani hasn't, but I think that's going to be the key is how do you focus it and then try to keep things as pretty much on the same routine as you possibly can. You know, start your meetings at the same time. You've got a mm-hmm. bus ride to go over to practice as opposed to just going downstairs and going outside. So you try to keep things as normal as you possibly can and get players to focus. But what you're doing is, so let's say during a normal week, you might have 100 100, uh, reps to practice offensively, defensively. So this week, you're probably going to have 200 because you had last week where you could do some more practicing. So you're going to get a lot more reps. So you're going to try to keep the game plan simple, concise, where you're going to rely on execution, and you're going to drill that time and time again, which certainly helps.
0: It's interesting because I saw something that I think it was a a tweet or it might have been watching one of the daytime TV shows, but they said that the Chiefs, have kind of constructed their meeting room area and have built it out to be as close as possible to their one back in Kansas City, just to try to keep everything the same. So even like little details like that of, yeah. all right, we want the meeting area. If the if the whiteboard is over here, we want it to be over here. If this is over here, we want the, we want the seating to be like this to try to make this feel as normal as possible, because it's not normal, and that's the elephant in the room, is that you're in this, not foreign. I mean, they've been to Arizona before. They started their season in Arizona, but you're there for the entire week now with this Super Bowl lead-up, so it's a little bit different than a normal lead-up in terms of the game planning, though, and the football side of things, they've had two weeks to prepare for this game. What is the difference in the first week, that week after the championship games on that Sunday versus now this week with the whole buildup and practice coming up to the game this upcoming uh, weekend?
1: I would say the first week is more mental, introduce the game plan, get everybody on the same page, teach them what it's going to take to win the game. The second week is about execution, getting back to fundamentals, doing the things, you know, pad level, come off the ball, be a little bit more physical, but keep your legs fresh, you know, and try to build up to the game. So I, I think really that's that that's kind of what it is. One week's mental, the next week's more a little bit more physical. You certainly don't want to go overly physical, but you're going to need to get your timing back. You're going to need to get your pad level back. You're going to have to have the kind of when the game starts, you can't catch up. You want to start fast. Both teams have notoriously started fast, so I think that's going to be the key. Is how do you how do you balance that? How do you get that? And there's got to be a little bit of look. You know, it's it's no different than any game. It's a little bit like the movie Hickory when he took the kids to that Butler Fieldhouse and he measured the court. Right. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, it's 10 feet high. It's this. Everything's the same. This is a game. It's all going to be the same. The elements around the game are different. Let's just focus on what is always the same. And I think that's how you get their attention.
0: Is it challenging to kind of rain guys, especially early in the week around this time, because they're doing the opening night thing tonight and then Tuesday, maybe that's sort of an off day. I'm sure they'll have some sort of meetings or whatever. And then the practice starts Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like a typical week. But we all know the families are involved. There's ticket stuff that guys are getting all sorted out. There's the nightlife aspect of it. As somebody who's visited the Scottsdale, Greater Phoenix area a number of times, you can find yourself a lot of trouble uh, in that area. How do these teams kind of manage that? Like, are they putting like strict curfews in place? How do they go about kind of uh, no. trying to get those? Guys? Oh, they they don't I do mean, that not- stuff. So.
1: No, the beginning of the week is going to be like a typical week. You're off Tuesday. I think now that they mm-hmm. move media up to the Monday night, the players have Tuesday off. Mm-hmm. And so all the ticket stuff's handled, right? Go out to dinner, enjoy your family. The, you know, there's probably going to be a curfew, but usually sometimes the, the, the teams, that the the families can stay in the hotel room with the players, And then there's a family hotel the night before the game that, you know, the players kind of condense it down. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind of try to keep things as normal as you can go out, take your family, enjoy it. But we start working on Wednesday. Here's going to be the drill. You're going to be over here at six in the morning. We're going to do treatments. You know, everything's going to stay on the same schedule. Same thing for the coaches. You know, the coaches are tinkering. You know, they're looking. It's not about changing the game plan. Right? It's a little bit about the strategy. It's a little like a chess match, right? Mm-hmm. So, what you want to do is, and Shane Parrish on Farnham Street had this in his newsletter. I tweeted it out. The object is to how do you avoid losing? And, you know, don't be stupid. That's how you avoid losing. So, what you want to be able to do is anticipate if we do this, they're going to do that. And if we do that, they're going to do this. And then try to manufacture in game during this week, taking time. You know, if we started to get a lot of this, we think they're going to go here. And so we're going to need to adjust to that and do that as a coaching staff, as a defensive and offensive in the kicking game, you know, and try to kind of blend the game, play the game in your mind during the time that the free time that you have. So Wednesday, when it gets into situations, you can talk to the players about, hey, we're going to introduce this. We think this is what they're going to do. So alert for that. And when Mm -hmm. they do that, we're coming back with this. So there's a lot of scenarios that have to go through. And I think that's ultimately what happens. But a lot of this is preparing as if it were a chess match. So you're going to pick out the games you want to keep watching and you want to get a rhythm of, of how he calls the game. Remember these two teams played what week four of 2021, Mm -hmm. The, the chiefs had the chiefs had eight possessions technically in the game. Okay. They had eight possessions technically in the game, but really the last possession was a kneel down. So they had seven, they scored six touchdowns and had one interception. They never punted. They had they, they scored touchdowns on every single drive except for the one they threw the interception. They were 9 for 10 on third down. They controlled the game. Tyree Kill was the best player on the field. I mean, they, they had 10 catches for 182 yards. They couldn't stop them. That game's not going to be relevant, but that game is relevant because it'll give you a chance to understand how they called the game, how they attacked you. And now as you try to pers- use a perspective on seeing what's going to attack them. And, and I think that's what you try to do. You, you, as a play caller, as anybody who's in charge of the game, you're basically studying it like former chess matches. Here's what happened. Here's what they did, okay? Because when you make a move in chess, you never think about the, the, the novice makes a move in chess and thinks about what his next move is. Mm-hmm. The, the pro thinks about what's the danger in the move. Mm. Where am I, where, where are the danger when I make this move? Novice don't think like that. Mm-hmm. So that's how you have to approach this week. How you, where are the dangers in what we decide to do? And then how do we supplement those dangers? That's, that's strategy.
0: I think that's a really, really well way, but put to put that into words, I think, mean, cause that's, that's, it's chess on grass is what football has become. And I think mean, just seeing the game through that lens versus seeing it through the okay like we did this now let's go do this it's no we did this so how can they attack us because we've gone ahead and and, and did this so I, I really like the way you put that um, some quick other notes with this Super Bowl here, because now we're in a Super Bowl week. The, the storylines are starting to bubble up here. Obviously, the Andy Reid Bowl being the, the big storyline, at least from the Chiefs perspective. Andy, of course, coached many, many years in Philadelphia, now facing the Eagles with a chance to go ahead and win his second Super Bowl. Do you think that this Andy Reid Bowl storyline, is it a big deal? Is it a little deal or is it is it nothing at all?
1: I mean, I, I I asked Howard Eskin on the show yesterday, on my, on our show yesterday, the Lombardi line, and he kind of poo-pooed it. I, I think it's bigger than 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 Eskin said. I think both teams, yes, both teams have won Super Bowls. Both teams, I'm sure Andy felt like it was the right thing to do to leave. And Jeff Lurie has been record saying he probably waited a year too long to make that decision. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes as a coach, you kind of run your... You run that gamut. I mean, Madden felt like 10 years was enough. Right. And I think if you're in one place too long, I mean, that's one of the things Walsh always felt like. We talked about this in the Daily Coach today about how do you keep your edge? How do you keep that constant edge going on when you've kind of been delivering the same message? You know, it's Pete Carroll. I give him credit. His his approach in terms of rah-rah and that energy, you know, is great in college. But when you don't have graduation, it can wear on the pro that positivity. So when he changes the roster, it kind of helps him. I've often said this about Nick Saban. Nick Saban needs graduation. Like Nick Saban needs graduation. He needs because he's going to r- grind the players down, mm-hmm. whereas Bill's not Bill's grinding, but it's a different style of grinding uh, and both work. I'm not suggesting it doesn't, but graduation benefits Nick. And so when you're trying when that message kind of wears thin, it may be time for a change. And I think that's what happened with Andy and, and the Eagles and both have won. But there's still a little bit of hey. You know, I carried you. No, we carried you. It's that little mm-hmm. bit who gets credit. And I think that's what's going to manifest. I think nobody will say it. But look, I think Andy Reid really wants to win this more than ever. He'll never admit it. And I think the Eagles going to prove that they can win it more than ever. But the Eagles, Jeff Lurie could go into the Hall of Fame if he wins this second one. There's a lot at stake here.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot. of And these are competitive guys. Of course, they want to win. And it's a little extra being that it's your former uh, organization there. You mentioned that Andy Reid wants to win it. Well, America doesn't want Andy Reid to win. I don't know if you caught this. I saw this tweet. It's a poll from Morning Consult. It showed that Americans want the Eagles to beat the Chiefs. And it was polling different generations of people, whether it was millennials or baby boomers or Gen X. And it was showing that Of U.S. adults, 35% want the Eagles to win, 31% want the Chiefs to win. It pulled sports fans, NFL fans, sports betters. The only subsection of fans that wanted the Chiefs to win over the Eagles was Gen Z. The young kids, the young adults, the 20-somethings. And, and, the, yeah. and maybe, they're, maybe they're big Patrick Mahomes fans, I'm, I'm guessing. But it's weird that the Chiefs have kind of now shifted into maybe being the villain role because they were the team that was seen as the, the, the chance to maybe dethrone New England and, and Brady and Belichick. And now here they are. They have made it to the third Super Bowl in four years. Now everybody wants to see them lose.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't know if I pay much attention to that, you know, because like every time I, I talk about Springsteen, people say, you know, you're just some old white guy that likes Springsteen. You know, you get with the times. Right. And then I saw a pitch and I've watched the last three concerts and I saw a picture of Springsteen with his back to the audience. And it's filled. It's filled with people. I mean, it's enormous. And everyone's packed. Every arena is packed. And I'm saying, yeah, you know what? Maybe I am some old white guy, but there's a lot of us dinosaurs out here, you know? So, like, I don't know. I don't know if any of those polls make any sense. Like, I don't know. Like, like, I get it. Yeah, it's my generation. I get that. But there's a lot of people from that there, you know, just like good things don't ever come to an end. I mean, the Steeler uniform should never die. Mm. Like, great things have 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 a shelf life. And that's why people get upset with the Chiefs, because they're worried about their shelf life. Mm-hmm. They're worried they're going to go on and oh we got to deal with Mahomes for another year and they're going to win again mm-hmm. you know whereas if the Eagles win maybe you know Jalen Hurts gets to, you know paid too much money and and they blow all that so I, I kind of get that sense that's what I would say
0: I mean it's, it's the same thing that happened with New England I think mean, the the first year when they won the Super Bowl in two thousand one everyone was rooting for them. And then I think it was probably right. mixed that when they beat the Panthers, it was probably mixed in. But that, by the time you get to that third one, when it's, you're yeah, facing they, the Eagles and Jack, everyone's like, get the hell,
1: get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're, we're sick up to you. you. Yeah. They're, now they're cheating. Like, they got to get them out of here.
0: <laughs> it's like, we're sick of you. And then, and then don't even get to 2007 when they were undefeated all the way up until losing to the Giants. Everybody was rooting for the New York Giants in that Super Bowl. So I think it's, people just get sick of greatness and that's what we can all see on the horizon with Mahomes and the Chiefs. It's going to be like this for the next 10, 12, 15 years, so uh, get used to it. Uh, Final thought here, the Kelsey Bowl as well. Jason Kelsey, all pro center for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. They have Travis Kelsey, all pro tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you think the Kelsey brothers are the best brother duo in league history?
1: Well, you know, I mean, look, they, yeah, I would say I, I got to think about that. I haven't really given that much study, uh, but mm-hmm. certainly, I mean, I, the Gogolak, the kickers, we could, they they can't certainly. How about the bar kickers? I mean, there were kickers <laughs> that were brothers, right? Yeah, the like, the, the grammaticas I mean, <laughs> you know, Darren Sharper's in prison now for horrendous crimes that he mm-hmm. committed, but Jamie Sharper, those two guys were good players, not to the level that these two, but both of those were good players. The Sharper family were good players mm-hmm. now. I'm trying to think who else was in that
0: category. Well, I was thinking like the the Sharp brothers, Shannon Sharp and Sterling Sharp. Yeah, there you go. They're I mean, really good they're, players.
1: They're, I mean, both guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, I'm sure Kelsey, both Kelsies are going to get in the Hall of Fame.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, but uh, to me, the most ridiculous guy who's not in the Hall of Fame, if you were to ask me a, a peek sneak at my book, Football Done Right, the most ridiculous guy to not be in the Hall of Fame, and I make a huge, huge campaign for him in my book is Sterling Sharp.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: and he it's Sterling Sharp. I mean, it's, a ridic- it's, it's ridiculous. He's overlooked. It's ridiculous that we put Boselli in at, on a mm-hmm. short career, and we ignore Shannon Sharp because he had a, a, a Sterling Sharp because he had a neck injury. You know, one guy had a short career; it's okay. This guy, not so good. You know, and played with Don Majakowski for a while before he got to Favre. Could you imagine what his numbers would have been with Favre?
0: I, it's ridiculous
1: for uh, the longer period. So, yeah, I would say the Sharp brothers certainly are contemporaries.
0: Yeah. Sterling sharp. And for those of you who don't remember Sterling sharp, um, three time, all pro first team, 1989, 92, 93. I mean, other than Jerry Rice, he was seen as the best receiver in football. You know, he was, he he was that good. It
1: was unbelievable. I mean, and his touchdown, I think I I have this in the book, his touchdown to catch ratio was like 7.8. Like his touchdowns for that short career matches some of the guys that are in over a long career. I mean, the guy put. Look, if you're going to put a lot of ha- receivers in the Hall of Fame, which I I think the reason they get in the Hall of Fame is because people look at their numbers. But if you're going to put all these receivers in, you better make goddamn sure their catch to touchdown ratio is high. I mean, Paul Warfield was at every five catches he was in the end zone. You know, Randy mm-hmm. Moss. It's the same way. Every time he caught the ball, he's in the end zone. Like you got to have like catching the ball and getting it in the end zone are two of the most important things you got to catch. But when a guy score, that's what the hall of fame is. I saw hmm. on pro football talk the other day where he's arguing for levels of the hall of fame. That That's what the whole, my whole book's about is that, yeah. you know, I mean, he's arguing for it now. I mean, I wrote it. So, you know, he won't be getting mentioned in pro football talk, but I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know, but, yeah. but I wrote it, you know, like there's levels of these players
0: no they're, they're most definitely his levels we'd be remiss, of course if we didn't mention the Manning brothers who might be the first family of football yeah. but I mean yeah. so I mean, here, here's my it's thing hard to beat them. yeah it, it's hard to beat them but I, I mean I think there's only one hall of famer in, in that family in my opinion yeah. I don't I don't think that the younger yeah. one is he's he's gonna get in but uh, I don't even yeah, want he's to, gonna get in yeah. but I mean, I mean, look, I, I I agree with
1: you. He he played well in big games. There's no denying that. Mm-hmm. There's no denying that he played too long. And he, but he played well in big games. But you know, he's going to. I mean, they're going to do everything in their. I mean, because that they're going to do everything in their power to get him in. Yeah. When there's some other quarterbacks that from different eras that haven't been in, you know, but those guys from those guys in the past, like the, people just ignore them. Mm-hmm. They just ignore them. They, like they don't realize how good they are. Like people thinking Johnny Unitas couldn't play today. Like that's absurd. <laughs> like Johnny Unitas was Peyton Manning before Peyton Manning. Like mm-hmm. he was Peyton Manning before. Remember quarterbacks that are quick-minded are better than quarterbacks that are quick-footed.
0: Yeah. No, I, de- I definitely agree with that. Final note though, on the Super Bowl, though, the Chiefs wide receiver issue, McCall Hardman, placed on IR, so he will not play on Sunday. We'll see what happens with Kadarius Tony and Juju Smith-Schuster, but we'll, I'm sure we'll have more uh, clarity on that when we do the episode coming up later on this week. But Michael, let's take our first break here on the pod and we'll get some of the news and notes from around the league. 168 hours after issuance DKNG.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources all right let's get to some news and notes from around the league obviously no games that were played this past week other than the pro bowl games if you want to qu- call that a football but we did see a couple of nflers over at the at&t pebble beach pro-am on the pga tour one of them being Aaron Rodgers, the former four-time MVP out there uh, working on his golf game. And he was asked, because there was a little bit of a weather delay on Sunday that ended up pushing it all the way until Monday when they finally finished. But he was asked no, on Sunday. It was Saturday. About that. The weather Saturday. Delay was yeah. Saturday. Yeah. yeah, Saturday, I'm sorry. Saturday was the weather delay. And during that delay, he was asked about uh, kind of what's been the chatter out there on the course about maybe his next team. Uh, here's what he had to say when he spoke with uh, CBS there on their PGA coverage. Say that the uh, predominant uh team that we hear as we're walking is raiders a lot of a lot of raider fans <laughs> are encouraging me a lot of Devonte misses you comments uh-huh. Uh-huh. so we're having some fun with it it's a great uh you know great event for the fans to come out here and hopefully we can get back on the course <laughs> you see the, <laughs> see the smile on his face he loves being wooed man <laughs> i tell oh, you he loves it the raiders fans I, want it they've moved from I brady to rogers
1: that, i mean the way this is acting this is like <laughs> hey does that look like a guy who's not going to play football next year? Does that sound like a guy who's not going to play? Look, if you weren't going to play football next year, wouldn't you say, wait a minute, hold on. There's no sense. that in- I only made up my mind up if I'm playing, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think to me, it, just reading the tea leaves, I would say that's that sounds like a guy who wants to play football. Ne- and he should play football next year. He's too good. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not done. His career's not over. You know, now where he goes, I don't know. I mean, certainly, if you've never been to Pebble, that's a that's an incredible venue down there, and it's the Bay Area. It's south of the Bay Area, so there's a lot of Oakland Raider fans down there. I used to walk that course. I had to go down there every year and hang out. I, I would, I love. Those are the best trips. I used to Millie and I would go down there every year and hang out and walk the course. Sometimes Belichick would play. I would walk in it and. You know, it was it was incredible. When it's a nice day down there, it's like one of the greatest places to ever go. And, uh, you know, I was down there one time. I was walking, the course, with Belichick, and my cell phone rings. And, you know, of course, it's Al Davison. is like, do you realize that fucking Rome is burning and you're walking down there? <laughs> I'm like— I didn't know Rome was burning. I had no idea Rome was burning. I'm just here. Like, I'm two hours away. I'll be home in a minute if you need me. Oh, fuck, Rome's burning. You got no time for this. So, you know, can you imagine that? I was literally in the middle of the course, you know? Just having a a nice stroll. (laughs) A nice stroll. Fucking Rome is burning. I didn't know. I don't have a hose down here with me. I can't put out that fire in Rome. But I'll tell you, there's probably good pizza. Check it out. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, look look, I think, I think the market will heat up for Carr. I don't mm-hmm. see, maybe I'm wrong. I don't see the Raiders getting a day two draft choice for Carr. They're not going to get day one, but two and a three, I don't see that. So mm-hmm. I think a four maybe, but it sounds like there's teams interested. And, and so that'll clear the cap. And then like, to me, the Rodgers thing isn't are you playing is how long do you want to play? Mm -hmm. Like if I trade for you, am I getting three years out of you or am I getting one? And you got to kind of give me an answer or else what am I doing?
0: Which team do you think is best equipped to bring him in? Even if it's just for one season, would it be the jets? Would it be the Raiders? Like who do you think would be best served? If even if it was Roger said, all right, I'm going to play 2023 and then I'm going to figure out my life after that. Like, like which team is best equipped to bring that on?
1: Well, I think the one for Rogers, the one he's the most comfortable with, like like, he's run one offense. pretty He had McCarthy for all those years. That's West Coast. Mm-hmm. That's day one West Coast install, right? So he's had that. Then LaFleur comes in, which is a combination of West Coast, but some more Kyle Shanahan yeah. influence. You didn't see much of the – a lot of boots because Rodgers doesn't want to turn his back to the formation on hard play action. You know, you didn't see a lot of that. So I would suspect it's – terminology is critical remember when Brett Favre went to the Jets and he Brian Schottenheimer was his coach Schottenheimer was from the digit system which is 436 that tells the 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 receiver run a four that the you know it's the three route the six you know and then the formations are different whereas in the west coast it's more of a verbiage you know 20 bingo cross you know uh, all these terminology that goes to it so Mm. you know So I think to me, the terminology would be what he's most comfortable with. And because when you, when a player changes systems, it's really hard.
0: So then people will hear that and then probably connect the dots to the New York jets with Nathaniel Hackett being there since the two were together in green Bay.
1: Right. I mean, that would be, you know, and then I think also, you know, if he's going to change, he wants to go somewhere where he's got a good line. He's going to, you know, he's going to be a pro personnel director. He's going to look at his line and then he's going to look at like, like, I don't know what he thinks of, I mean, how many people can take credit for Rogers' great play in Green Bay, but between Lafleur and Hackett, like how many can we get? I mean, is there enough meat on that (laughs) bone to get everybody credit? Like, (laughs) you you know, they couldn't win a playoff game up there with them. I mean, they lost, they lost a home, they lost two home playoff games up there. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I don't know, you know, whereas I would think the relationship with Devonte Adams certainly would help the Raiders if that's what yeah. he wants to do, where Adams had no problem adapting to the system. So if Adams adapts to that system, the Josh McDaniel system, that maybe, you know, you would think Rogers would. And one thing about the the, the McDaniel system, they're going to do what Rodgers does well, right? They're going to give him the liberty to do it. It's going to be different. It'll be an adjustment for him, though.
0: And Rogers being a West Coast guy, maybe he wants to come out here. He's not going to the Bay Area, but I mean, Vegas isn't too far from the Bay no, Area. No, I mean, he look, and that. it's
1: tax free. I mean, it's it the other appeal.
0: It's, it's tax free. You know, it's very nice.
1: <laughs> Where you go to New York, you know, so New York, say, you know, New York's going to, they're going to get you on all of them, right? They're going to get you. Don't don't think players don't think like that. Yeah. You know, you got That tax burden is huge in California for players, and it's huge in in New Jersey for players and New York.
0: Well, maybe that's why Colt Nost on the PGA broadcast was there saying Roger would look nice with a star on his helmet if he wants to come down to Texas and play for the Cowboys. But I digress. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. And uh, you and
1: Dave Ross will have to kick in for that. And, and, yeah. and our man yeah. two
0: <laughs> I don't know if I want to put money in for Aaron Rodgers. He's a hell of a player, but that might be asking a little much for me. Uh, Derek Carr, though, is the other side of that, of that coin there for the Raiders. Obviously the two have split up. Uh, Carr has, uh, been granted permission by the Raiders to speak with other teams interested in trading for him that have also agreed to compensation with Las Vegas. Now, you mentioned that you think it's going to be a day three pick, not quite a second or a third round pick in day number two. There's this deadline, though, that's lingering here, the February 15th deadline for the guarantees of the contract. Do you think we see think something done?
1: Deadline. I-, I thought it was March 3rd deadline. I thought so, it was the third day of the league year.
0: So I believe there's, there's a. It's. I read a tweet. It said Carr says he will not extend the February 15th deadline for future gu- contract guarantees. So I'm not sure if that means then if it goes towards the March 3rd thing or if it's – I'll have to get clarification on well, that. Well, you
1: can't – first of all, the league year doesn't – you can't trade a player – until the league yeah. year opens up but yeah, so they could agree to a trade
0: correct but they wouldn't right. it wouldn't so, be but official that,
1: but that wouldn't trick but if, if they if, if he goes past that 50 that, that's a self-imposed deadline by car and maybe mm-hmm. the raiders i don't know doesn't make a lot of sense to me because the, the 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 march 3rd is when his guarantees kick in gotcha they don't kick in in february you know those two guarantees don't kick in until the league year begins So you could say the second. And sometimes you don't know when the league year is going to be. So you you frame it in a contract the second day of the league year, the third day of the league year. You don't know what day that is Mm -hmm. when you do the contract because they change the day of the league year. I think that's a self-imposed one to me. I say a a, a Saturday pick, but there may be competition. And if there's competition and he's good to go to either place, I mean, the the contract's going to determine this, too. Right. Mm -hmm. Who's got an appetite to pay 40 million for three years? Because that's what he's going to get. He's going to get 120 million over the next three years. Who's going to pay that? I heard the Saints, Carolina. You know, I mean, the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, look, you you, you kind of have a sense. You know, I, I would think that some teams would want to pay that because look, he's got proven numbers. Yeah, and he'll make a team better. I mean, there's no doubt, it, you know, he's kind of gone through it and it, it doesn't mean his career ends in Las Vegas. It just means sometimes change is good for players too, right? We talked about that with coaches in an earlier block. So I could see that. I mean, but I think to me, you know, that has to be a self-imposed deadline that they're going to mm-hmm. agree to a deal with somebody.
0: So if you were the odds maker, you would set it at cars likely going to go to the NFC South because you mentioned the three teams, the saints, Panthers, and the bucks. One of those yeah. three might be interested. Okay. Uh,
1: I would, th- the one that if I were car, the one I'd want to go to are the saints because their offensive line, or I'd go to Carolina. I'd go wherever mm-hmm. the best offensive line was.
0: Yeah. And, and the warm weather climate, we know there's the, all the stats I mean, about Carr and the cold. And
1: yeah, Carolina's got good receivers. Mm-hmm. New Orleans has good receivers. They got New Orleans. I would go New Orleans, Carolina, uh, and, uh, that now, I mean, would, would he work with Frank, Wright? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Pete yeah. Carmichael there, you know, c- has been with Bree, so they kind of know each other. I mean, I'm sure he could be very comfortable there. And remember, Dennis Allen, I believe Dennis Allen was with him as a coach, right?
0: I be- I think they had a little bit of crossover here. Let right. me make sure to look it up. Yeah, I
1: think they did. I'm trying to, th- I think they had to. Because,
0: yeah, Allen, he was the head coach of the Raiders. So, yeah, 2012 They're to 2014. Still- so, I believe it was Carr's rookie year was Dennis Allen's last year with the Raiders yeah, and
1: he got fired in season. Didn't he get fired? I believe get, so. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, but at least he went through the process with them and he knows the kid. Now they didn't play very well. The rate, that was one of the, the one of the teams that, that, that really shut down the Raiders. I would say the second chief game was not a good game for the Raiders, but that was Stidham and that game, the, the, the Saint game, the, the saints just shut down the Raiders completely. Dennis mm. Allen had a hell of a job in that game.
0: Yeah. No, Dennis Allen. Actually, he was fired in uh, late September. Uh, of 2014 so So, yeah he was an early season kind of hot seat guy team gets off to a bad start once again then Uh, He was dismissed as the head coach of the Raiders. Uh, The head coach of the Denver Broncos was introduced today. Sean Payton met with the Denver media earlier this morning, and he had interesting stuff to say. He talked about how ownership was uh, paramount for him uh, in making his decision. But I thought this was an interesting quote that he said, because he was asked about Russell Wilson's performance team having access to the facility last year. And he said, quote, that's foreign to me. That's not going to take place here. I'm not familiar with it, but our staff will be here. Our players will be here, and that'll be it, is mm-hmm. what he says.
1: I think he's going to make sure that, you know, there's not entitlement. I mean, you got to have to peel back the entitlement. Where do you see the press conference for whoever gets the Arizona job? I mean, how's that going to get handled, you know? <laughs> The first question is going to be, how are we going to handle the mayor? I mean, you know, like <laughs> you can say you love the mayor, how are we handling the mayor? So, I, I mean, Sean, there's a sheriff in town, and Sean just got what, how many years on a contract and a lot of money? Yeah. If, you know, that. that's what ha- when you, when, when the coach's salaries have to stay within proportion to the player's salaries because. If it's too easy to fire the coach, the players have too much control. A little bit what's happened in the NBA. I mean, when Doc Rivers went back to the Sixers, my sense was, well, at least now with them pay, having him having some prestige to his name, Hall of Fame, code or whatever, you know, they're paying him a ton of money. They just can't give in to Simmons or Embiid, right? They got. Mm-hmm. He's going to have some clout. I think there goes a lot to that.
0: Peyton's going to interview both Brian Flores and Sean Desai for their defensive coordinator position. Jiro Evero, the coordinator there last year, ended up taking the Carolina Panthers job. But a lot of this press conference, was they were talking asking about Russell Wilson, I think, because that's what everybody thinks about when they see Sean Payton get hired. Can he fix Russell Wilson after what we've seen over the last couple of years? And this is what Peyton had to say on building the offense around Wilson. Quote, I was taught early on, What is it that they do well? And let's have them do those things. None of us want to be at a karaoke bar with a song. We don't know the words to, so how do we get them comfortable and highlight their strengths?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's Sean. I mean, that's, that's, that's any great offensive coach the figuring out now, what is he going to be good at? You know? And, and I mean, he's been in the West coast, you know, we've been, every time we turn around, we've been trying to get, he's been, you know, we've got to fire this guy, this fire, that guy to me. Sean's gonna I, Sean's gonna run it. He's gonna have a better balance of a run game, mm-hmm. and the quarterback's gonna have to execute what he wants him to do. And when he doesn't do that, he's gonna he's gonna hear it from him. So, yeah, I, I fully expect him to be a West Coast kind of a spray of the ball. But he's gonna have to show he can move around in the pocket, and he's willing to move step up in the pocket. A lot of times, these guys that don't want to get hit anymore, Femi. What they do is they they don't vertically work the pocket. So like when you watch when we watch this game this weekend, one of the key things in this game this weekend is the Chiefs have to take their two ends like the 49ers did and push the pocket inside, push the tackles, the end defensive end and push the offensive tackles and never get past them. And if, as soon as they get to the same level as the quarterback, they have to work inside. And the defensive linemen have to push inside. So it, it forces the quarterback to not vertically walk up into the mm-hmm. pocket, which Purdy didn't do. When you watch Purdy get hurt, if Purdy would have walked vertically up into the pocket, then Riddick would have never hit him. But he kind of just – he didn't really have enough feel and experience to vertically work that pocket, what they call climb the ladder. Yeah. And so Wilson never wants to climb the ladder. What does he do? He steps up and runs out. He steps up and runs out. And you can't do that if you're going to play for Peyton.
0: Well, wouldn't you say that that's kind of – the situation with shorter quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, yeah. like he's a shorter guy. Brock Purdy, he's a shorter guy. Baker Mayfield, who we see run to his right all the time. Another one of those shorter guys. Those shorter quarterbacks, Breeze was the rarity who you would see kind of navigate those passing lanes somehow, some way, only being about six feet tall. But a lot of these a lot of these short guys, they definitely retreat because they're just trying to see over these big offensive linemen.
1: Right, and Sean did a great job of always having good guards in there when he played for the Saints. So Breeze had kind of the pocket was set inside out, not outside in, right? And so that's what you have to do. But the quarterback's got to vertically work before he mm-hmm. works out. And sometimes these guys, they just want to get out. And that's going to be the key to the game against the Chiefs is how they rush Jalen Hurts, but also the key to Russell Wilson. Will he vertically work the pocket? Like if Purdy would have just moved up, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a receiver. He's got Ayuk wide open. All he's got to do is just take a step and bang it. You know, Brady, that's why Brady, he never really was worried about ends on the edges because he would step up where Brady always was like, okay, if you're coming at me and I can't step up, if I can't climb the ladder, I'm in trouble. So when you're watching an older quarterback and especially an older quarterback whose yards per attempt has gone down, you, you, you're you basically looking for, does he climb the pocket? Wilson hmm. doesn't.
0: We'll talk more about coaching on the other side here because there's still two Head coaching vacancies, one in Indianapolis, one in Arizona. What's the latest on those? We'll discuss it here on the GM Shuffle. All right, we still have a couple of head coaching vacancies here in the National Football League as it's Super Bowl week, and I'm surprised to even say that there's still two spots that are open, the Arizona Cardinals and the Indianapolis Colts. Colts, though, we've heard that they interviewed Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen this past Saturday. I know they also interviewed defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, Aaron Glenn, earlier. Uh, But they're now going to this kind of third round of interviews here, which to me on the outside seems a little strange. But, Michael, you think that this might be something that's uh, no stone unturned from Ursay Ballard and that Colts crew?
1: Oh, well, we wrote about this for The Daily Coach uh, a couple months ago, you know, probably in the fall where there's this procedure where you interview 10 people. Right. And mm-hmm. from those 10 people, you pick three that you like and then you bring those three back. And then once you figure out who those three are that you like, you then try to interview five different people from another that, that weren't on the original list. Because mm-hmm. as you keep interviewing people, you keep learning more about yourself and what you're doing. And then when you get to that final three, you really know kind of where you are. And now it gives you a chance to maybe we need to revisit and bring somebody else in for the final one. I'm not sure they're doing that. But the three-step process allows you to dig deeper. It's a little bit like. You know, Joan Didion, when she she talks about writing, the famous author who, if you've ever read the, the, her books, The the White Album and all that stuff, the slouching for Bethlehem, she's an incredible writer. But one of the things I think that that's really good is w- what she says is when I sit down the, with the blank piece of paper, I don't know where I'm going. So I start writing and the writing takes me to where I want to go. Well, I think part of these interview process, it takes you somewhere. Now, eventually you got to make a decision. So If they come out and they're going to interview three more people and we know who they are, then they are then they kind of they're they're open minded. If they come back and say, we're probably not, then probably means that Steichen's got the job and they just don't want to announce it. They don't want to announce Mm -hmm. anything during the during the the week of the Super Bowl. Or they're just going to give it to Saturday. I mean, one of those three things, right? So, you know, I think it's going to be – I thought we would hear something today. I think they told candidates that they would kind of come to a, a third round. They have talked about this third round. So, it, I haven't heard any names today as I've traveled. So, I don't know if you've heard anything on this job. No. But I think to me, you know, they by – it's if they want Steichen, he's not going anywhere. He's not involved in Arizona. So, you're not going to lose him. So, bring back the other guys you want and interview him on Monday if you want to hire him for the third. You know, you got plenty of time.
0: Yeah, Adam Schefter over the weekend said the Colts might not name a head coach until later this week or even after the Super Bowl. After the Super Bowl, even that little hint in there almost leads me to believe that it might be Steichen there of of the Eagles because he's got the game that he's going to take care of this weekend and then maybe afterwards Monday or Tuesday after the Super Bowl, you might hear Eagles' offensive coordinator Shane Steichen to be the next Colts head coach. That's where I would guess this goes, but I mean, I guess. With Ursa, you never know. He could be a wild card, and he could make Saturday the coach. Who knows? That'd be great for content. Might not be great for Colts fans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Cardinals... Elliot, jo- <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Elliot, we, we send our condolences in advance. The Cardinals' job, though, is down to three candidates, reportedly. Steelers assistant coach Brian Flores, Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, and then Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anaruma. What's the latest that you're hearing here in, uh, in Arizona?
1: Well, I think they won't have a coach until after the Super Bowl for sure, but not because of they they don't they're, they're some they're interviewing somebody in the game. I think they're gonna. I don't think they're interviewing Amaromo until Friday. I think he's coming mm. back out there. It's interesting. They have two defensive coaches and an offensive coach. Yeah. So you know that's good, that's interesting. And this is the second round for each one of these guys. So I've heard Kafka's done a really good job. I, I'm happy that Lou Amaromo's getting an opportunity. I think he's got a really good chance to, to you know, I think he's a really good coach who's You know, one of the things about when you work for the Bengals, and people read about this in my book, Football Done, right? The way that Paul Brown sets up the organization, which Mike Brown does as well, is the coaches have a lot of say in the draft. It's a college program. And especially the defensive coordinator. When Zimmer was there or Paul Gunther were there, they kind of ran the draft for the defense, right? And so, from a team building standpoint, that can really benefit you as you go to your next job. It helped Bill Walsh. I mean, he knew what he wanted when he went to the next job based on what he did in Cincinnati. I'm not sure it works all the time for, because when you leave that program and you go, then all of a sudden the system changes and now all these players may not fit. So, but I do think that he's had that team building background, which certainly would help. Flores has the Patriot team building background, and Kafka, mm-hmm. smart guy, been around Andy Reid. So, uh, I'd be interested to see. I mean, I think those are three really good names. I think the guy that 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 it'll be interesting how what what Brian had learned from his experience in Miami, and then you know where you feel comfortable with Amaroma. I wouldn't be worried about who's going to be the offense coordinator if it's Flores or Lou. I wouldn't be worried about who's going to be defense coordinator. I, I think you can find the coaches because the riddle's going to be in in Arizona is not what offense we run. It's how do we make the quarterback better.
0: Yeah, and that, that's a tough job because the quarterback is probably not going to be playing uh, in the early portion of 2023. Maybe not not at all during the season based on when he tore his ACL here. Flores does have the connection though, with Monty Ostenfort who came from Tennessee but also worked in New England. He came with over with John Robinson. League, yeah. yeah. So so they have that connection of the, the Patriot way and at least having that sort of alignment so that would make sense there. But uh, yeah, that's a job that we'll see maybe later this week or after the Super Bowl who ends up taking it. Um, the The new... Offensive coordinator, I should say, Michael, for the Dallas Cowboys is a is guy that you predicted just uh, yeah. a, sh- a short couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm I'm not sure why you didn't d- tweet this out there with it, like all the other insiders in the <laughs> National Football League. But Brian Schottenheimer is going to be the new O.C. with Mike McCarthy calling the plays in Dallas. It, to me, it sounds like Jerry's saying, all right, McCarthy, this is your chance. Like, like this is the year. Go make Dak Prescott better. You wanted your guy. You got your guy. And uh, now go make it work here. Uh, How how do you think Schottenheimer is going to kind of work in with this with McCarthy now?
1: I think most people in the world think that rich people don't care about money. Okay? I think when you become a billionaire, our perception of billionaires is that billionaires don't care about money. They've got so much they don't care. And that's Mm. completely wrong. Okay? Okay. So Jerry is very wealthy. You know, there was a time where Jerry couldn't even heat the building in Valley Ranch. Literally in night when he first bought the team, literally we went down there to practice and we, I was in the I was working for the Cleveland Browns. We went down there to practice. We had a practice there and he had closed half the building in Valley Ranch because he couldn't afford to heat it. Wow. He was leveraged to the hilt. He wow. was leveraged to the hilt and he closed the building. We were practicing there. Jimmy was the coach. He uh-huh. got apex to pay for Jimmy. So, And so the point, the reason for that story and the reason for about billionaires is Jerry's sitting there paying Dan Quinn 4.5 million, let's say, and he's paying Mike. let's say he's paying him 9 million. So he's got $14 million in two coaches. Does he Mm -hmm. really want to pay another 3 million for an offensive coordinator? Does he really want to pay another 2 million for this? I think Jerry's sitting there saying like, how much money do I need to spend on all these coaches? So, okay, Mike, You're going to call plays. What do you need to make yourself the best play caller? Okay, you want Brian Schottenheimer to be your coordinator? Let him organize shit for you. Let him get the meetings, run the meetings. I got no problem doing that. I'm not paying him like I was paying Kellen Moore, but I'll do that. Mm -hmm. He's not the play caller you are. I don't have to pay him as much. I think that's what this is about. I think that once Quinn came back for that deal, I think Jerry looked at his coaching budget and said, wow, this is completely ridiculous, Right. Yeah. Like, this is way too much. I'm spending all this money on coaches. And so they got rid of a bunch of coaches that were the contracts were up. And I'm sure he's going to get his his budget in. Does this mean Jerry doesn't value winning as much? No, I think what he values is to be fiscally responsible and he don't want to waste money. And I think that was my whole point when he hired McCarthy. Why are you paying McCarthy nine, 10 million to be the head coach and not making him call plays? Right. Like if you're going to make him the head coach, then. He should be calling plays. He's just standing there holding the clipboard. What, what are you getting out of this? It has to be economically feasible. And so Brian fits that perfectly. Brian and, and Mike go back a long way. Mike worked for Marty, Brian's father. Mm-hmm. So they have that relationship. They know each other. They that Even though they're this is a little misnomer, they're from different systems. Brian's from the Zampisi numerical system. McCarthy's from the, the, the West Coast system. But I'm sure they blended themselves together because usually that all happens. And I think that's what we'll see
0: that that is really interesting because i'm sure jerry is also thinking like why would i be paying upwards of 18 million dollars a year for coaching when we can't even get to the damn nfc title game like, like that's I mean, that's got to go
1: through his head as well most people confuse being fiscally responsible for being cheap it's not you know, like like I think Mike Brown is fiscally responsible. I don't think Mike Brown's cheap. Everybody mm. would say Mike Brown's cheap. I don't think Mike Brown's cheap. I think if you talk to any coaches who work for the Bengals, he takes good care of his coaches. He takes good care of his people. I don't think he wastes money. And mm. I think that Jerry doesn't want to waste money either. I mean, Jerry's sitting there. He's got this, you know, he's got this. Huge, yeah. Does he want a helicopter? Yeah. Does he need a nice yacht? Yeah. All that shit he's got. <laughs> but at some point, sometimes too many people in an organization make it harder and I, and I think he just has to get control of it. And I think he did that. And so for me, I think ultimately I think that's a good, smart move for him. I think that's something he needed to do. And I think he, he certainly can do it and he will get better. And, and at least he gets his head coach to call the plays.
0: Yeah. Who's the cheapest owner?
1: the cheap well they're not cheap anymore i mean they're not cheap anymore really when you look at them they're really not cheap because they don't have to be cheap you know they don't they don't have to be cheap so they just have to be uh they have to be you know they they're making so much money i mean these guys all have airplanes i mean they're flying people left and right they don't even mind the gas the, the money for the flights uh you know uh I, I just think to me that the, there was a time where there were cheap owners. They were really cutting down. I mean, like when I worked at the Raiders, we would spend whatever it took to sign Charles Wilson, but to get Charles Woodson, but if, get office supplies. Fuck that carpet in the building. No, no chance. We got no carpet, you got no
0: money for carpet. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you're putting coins into the vending machine. <laughs> <You> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, also, you know, uh, Oh, you're going to add mean, something
1: yeah I mean, to me, I, I think when you break it down, I was reading I was reading Paul uh, his name is Paul as Asante, uh, Asante and uh, wonderful book and and, uh, and I was reading I was making notes of it and and he had a great thing uh, you know is that, that for them uh, it, he he talked about a little bit what we talked about with Sean Payton. he said the greatest limitations of any coach is, or teacher is the tendency to teach the game the way they played it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that part of that is as a coach, you have to evolve and you have to change. And so Sean's, you know, he played at East Eastern Illinois Mm -hmm. and McCarthy. you got to evolve the game to not how you played it, but how it's being played now. And I think some of that is what coaches need to do. I think by him and Schottenheimer both being from different systems, I think that'll help
0: them. Let's hope it helps them. Uh, that's what I'm hoping going into next year with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we'd mentioned earlier that Ajiro Evero, the Broncos' defensive coordinator, is yeah. now going to join Frank Reich in Carolina. What do you think that What does that do for you with this Panthers team? It seems like this is a pretty good staff that they're putting together over there in Charlotte.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, James Campin's one of the best line coaches in the league. What he did with that offensive line was really good. Chris Tabor, you know, the special team in Carolina was really good. I think they were seventh in the league. You know, that, that I don't want us to derail ourselves because we're going to break this game down uh, on Thursday mm-hmm. to detail. But these are the two worst special teams in all of football. Wow. The Chiefs and the Eagles. The Chiefs are the worst special teams in the league. Everybody would know that. According to Rick Goslin's numbers, they're the worst special teams in the league, and the Eagles are thirty-first. Oh my! So, but Tabor did a really good job. So that they got a great offensive line coach, great special teams coach. Now they get a defensive coordinator who's going to be more adaptive to the to the system of defense that Vic ran, which I think certainly will help them.
0: No, I mean that's that's interesting that we have the two of the worst special teams. Units in the Super Bowl, but I guess they also had pretty good offenses, and on the Eagles' case, uh, offense just, defense.
1: They were just looking for clean exchanges. I mean, Andy's just looking for, I mean, but look, let's face it, the 29 yard return won the game for him against Cincinnati. Of course, punting the ball down the middle didn't help either, and we won't go no, there.
0: No, yeah, we, we don't need to get into that. Let's take our final break. We'll do some fun topics on the other side. It's the GM shuffle. All right, Michael, before we get out of here, let's run through some other news and notes from around the league, just some fun topics that I saw here. And I mentioned earlier that I was watching yesterday evening, the 30 for 30 that ESPN put together on the 2000 Baltimore Ravens. It's called Bullies of Baltimore. It was really fun, really well done there by that whole crew. And Trent Dilfer had some very interesting comments today about quarterback play in today's NFL. He said, quote, the modern day game does not impress me. It's super easy when you don't get hit as a QB and when you you can't reroute wide receivers and you can't hit guys across the middle. I love Tom Brady. I love Aaron Rodgers. I love these guys. It's not impressive. Do you agree or disagree?
1: Well, I think Brady's played in all eras. So I don't know if you mm-hmm. could lag like that. I mean, if Trent thinks the era he played in was hard, he should have played with Unitas and he should have played with, <laughs> you know, Stallback, and he should have played with some of the guys that people don't, you know, don't even give any, you know, love to. I mean, you know, they changed the rule. Uh, because of Peyton Manning. I mean, Bill Polian complained about the jams, and that's how that rule got changed on legal contact. But there was a time when when you could just mug receivers in the league. Willie Brown could just walk up to a receiver and just kick the shit out of them. I mean, that's why the corners were 6'3", Emmett Thomas, and some of these great corners back in the day, they were huge because you, you could win at the line of scrimmage. That's how great Lance Allworth was. He was you could literally just beat up people. And those mm-hmm. receivers back in the day. So I, I don't disagree that the game has become less contact for the quarterback. The I mean, United would. I mean, United took so many hits it was ridiculous. He could have got called. I mean, how many, how many, uh, uh, you know, rough of the passer rough, penalties yeah. in his career? I mean, it would have been like ridiculous. But that's the game, right? So I just don't know if it's. It was. I mean, I think it's easier now. I don't think you could. It was similar to Brady played. Like, it wasn't that long ago. Rogers, this whole notion that great players can't play in different eras, to me, is one of the biggest fallacies of all time.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: Sammy Ball could play today, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Roger Stahlback would be great today. Unitas would be unbelievable today. Like we don't even mention Otto Graham. I mean, I talk about Otto Graham in the book. Otto Graham was a basketball player at Northwestern. Pappy Waldorf saw him throwing a football on the on the intermural field. I mean, he wasn't even the most highly recruited kid in the country uh, coming out. He played basketball and he, he talked him into playing football. Guy wow. won like ten titles. I mean, like and he's remarkable. Like and so like I think we make a really big mistake of saying that the players today couldn't play. Uh, the players of yesterday couldn't play today. Yeah, they could. They would have better nutrition. Mm-hmm. They would have, they, the rules would help them more. I mean, it would all those things. I mean, like some back in the day, the footballs they were throwing looked like balloons. <laughs> I mean, you watch Cecil LaBelle throw the ball. It's like, it looks like he's throwing a fucking balloon. It's so heavy. It looks like a kickball when we were kids in school, you know? And so, like, I, I think to me, this remember when is the lowest form of conversation. Mm-hmm. And as Tony Soprano would say, but to me, I think the game has evolved. I don't think you could handicap anybody.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably a fair way to put it. I, I do, though, want to see, like, what would have happened if we put, like, 1984 Dan Marino in this year's uh, NFL game and like, just have what that would look
1: like. I mean, Dan Marino. It's a great put- thing to put up. People say, well, you know, be- be- Brady didn't need Belichick, you know, Dan Marino went four years without making the playoffs with Don Shula, the winningest yeah. coach in the history of the game. Four years. That's right? crazy. I mean, Marino Marino's great in any era. I mean, Marino's going to be great in any era. I mean, you know, Marino could Marino would have played in the seventies. He could have called all his plays. <laughs> he was so smart. He was quick-minded. He wasn't quick-footed. He was quick-minded. Everybody talked about his release. Fuck, his release was great, but his fucking mind was the best. He could anticipate throws. I mean, the fact that he went to one Super Bowl, his second year in the league, and didn't go back again is a crime. It's crazy. It's a fucking crime. And and, and and a part of it is because you don't build a team around them. There wasn't three elements. It's not that. That's what I keep harping about. It, everything was separate, right? You know, And, and the greatest coach of all time, he, he, he didn't have all three things working hand in hand.
0: It's crazy. Throws probably the prettiest ball. I think in league history is Dan Marino there. Uh, Speaking of Tom Brady, he made the media rounds. His first media appearance since announcing his retirement last week was on the Colin cowherd show earlier today. And he told Cowherd that he'll be starting his new Fox job in the fall of 2024. So Brady's going to take a little bit of a year off. So you spoke with some of the executives. He wants to put time and energy into other parts of his life, which we commend him on doing that. Hopefully everything goes well. Um, but what do you make of Tom Brady? He's going to take like this gap year here to kind of figure things I think he out. And, to,
1: right. So yeah. look, he, he, what I said before is families in Miami, his sons and you know, his kids are in Miami, they mm-hmm. go to school there. So for him to just get back on the treadmill of football again, and every weekend you're somewhere else and you get two weeks a month to spend with your kids, I think he probably would nourish his children more by doing that and let Greg Olson have the box for one more year. Why not? You know? and, and kind of get out of the spotlight a little bit and try to yep. get some normalcy back into his life again, I, I think it was smart. I mean, I, I I kind of anticipated that. I said it on our show. I said it that I thought he would take a year off. I thought mm-hmm. that why rush? I mean, there's no if you're not going to play, being a broadcaster is no different than playing. You're going to be yep. gone. In All fact, it's harder, right? You're gone 18 weeks of the year to some far. I mean, rarely are you going to get a home game in Miami, so you're on an airplane. you got to go Friday. You're gonna to have to go all the time. So, like, what else are we gonna do? He's so I think that's look, we said this before, Femi. The arm didn't get him, the courage didn't get him, another injury didn't get him, family got him. Mm-hmm. He needed to spend time with his family. And and I think he's doing the right thing.
0: As an aside, did you see the photo that he put on Twitter this morning? I saw that this morning. <laughs> A little risque, huh? You know, what's what's going on there? <laughs> But well, I guess that's uh, love it. When, I love it. When, you, when you wake up and you don't have a job anymore, you're retired, and I guess that's, I that's, what, it. It, that's what it becomes. Uh, speaking of retirement, A.J. Green, the uh, receiver for 12 years, announced his retirement earlier today. Uh, Green, 727 career receptions, 10,514 receiving yards, 70 receiving touchdowns. Uh, what do you make of A.J. Green and his kind of legacy? It's unfortunate that he never really played for any great teams, but at his peak, I thought he was a great player.
1: You know, it's funny. When I think of A.J. Green, I think about what I wrote about in Football Done Right. I wrote about uh, sometimes head coaches that go to different places. I call it my second stint is killing my first. Right. Right. So, you know, Hank Stram went to from Kansas City, he won a Super Bowl, he went to New Orleans, he was a disaster. George Seifert left San Francisco, went to Carolina, not good. You know, uh, my uh, my second stint is killing my first stint. Like people, Mike Shanahan went from Denver to Washington, and people mm-hmm. only remember his Washington stint. They don't remember how great he was in Denver. So I, I, that's kind of where I am with AJ. Like I, I watched him and... He was not very good in Arizona the last 2 years. I've mm-hmm. kind of got to refresh my memory on how good he really was, you know? Yeah. That's kind of where I am. Like I think to me and that's on me and I think we all have to do that too to give more respect to the game is to go back cuz I do remember him being a number 1 receiver. He was one of the few number 1 receivers, but the last 2 years he was far from I think he averaged like 6 yards a catch this yeah. year. Yeah. No, he was like a he, shell of himself. I mean it was horrible. It was embarrassing. He shouldn't have played.
0: Yeah, it was, it was unfortunate because he's a guy I remember and it makes me feel old now because I, I remember A.J. Green when he was in high school and like yeah. this guy being like a five star recruit. Then he goes to Georgia, I mean, has an awesome career there and like was a top pick. I mean, he's a true he's a true X receiver. Then yeah. those
1: are hard to find where you can line them up and say, OK, take you can't take me out of the game. But lately
0: he wasn't that. No, yeah, but uh, hell of a career though. I don't know if he's going to get to the Hall of Fame. Probably a, a Ring of Honor guy in the Cincinnati area. Well, the way they area. Got
1: receivers in the Hall of Fame, I mean, they just oh. let anybody. I mean, just, there's <laughs> eight receivers in the Hall of Fame every year. Oh, just get them in. Come yeah. on. I might
0: go run around at the local I mean, high school and see Tommy if I can McDonald's get a gold jacket. Tommy in the
1: Hall of Fame. They traded him for a. <laughs> they, he got traded for a kicker. Like, how do you get traded for a kicker and get in the Hall of Fame?
0: Um, that does it for this week's edition of the podcast, Michael. But we will be back on Thursday. Thursday, you will be in Arizona, Radio Row. I'm sure you're excited. Have you uh, mapped out the cuisine? for uh for arizona you know what you're eating no when you get i haven't down there?
1: i try i gotta try to get into bianca pizzeria i can't get in there okay. i'm kind of working on my contacts anybody knows anybody send us an email please <laughs> i gotta get, try to get in there i'm dying to get in there
0: <laughs> can we get the guy a reservation
1: <laughs> please just two just two i just need a party of two <laughs> all
0: right I'll buddy safe travels Thank to you. arizona and i'll talk to you later this week